The Youthscape Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I have managed to gaffer tape Martin Saunders to the chair because, as you well know, if you're listening it in real time, this is the week of the National Youth Ministry Weekend and he has so many things he's doing. And I've said, no, sit with us, do a podcast. This is really important. So Martin, how are you feeling, Doc? There's how no, are you? There's no gaffer tape required. Oh. It is a joy to sit here oh, right, with there you we go. and our, our wonderful and increasing listener base. <laughs> Fantastic. That's why I've lined up like foot spa over there, nail polish over there, nice coffee and donuts over there. That's why I've surrounded you with these little sweet treats. Literally all of those things are yeah. imaginary. <laughs> Actually, none of them, none of them are here. No, there's a toilet. That's about it. <laughs> there's a loo. There's a loo and half a cup of coffee. But, uh, but uh, what are you excited about? So about the, the second, National Youth Ministry Weekend. Only the second one. Oh, and yeah. it's twice the size of the first one. Oh, goodness. So we have nothing to base any of this on ever. We were having a hysterical conversation in the office earlier about how difficult second albums Oh, you know no. how, oh, like, you know, the second season. season of True Detective was appalling. The second season of Serial Podcast was appalling. And actually, for, just to kind of broaden the metaphor, when you put eyeliner on one eye, yeah. that works well. But then try and replicate that on the other eye. Exactly. The, the second eye is always difficult. That's, that was the other example that, the other example. that I was going to give. Great. Um, and uh, and so you know, it's the it's the troublesome, difficult second year. But we're going to have a go because ultimately. It's not about us. Oh yeah. It's about it's, it's about not Jesus. It's about you. It's about Jesus and youth workers. So basically we could stick these youth workers in the room with Jesus and actually he'd be like, I've got this one, guys. And we'd say, We've got this planned, no, I've got this one. We've yeah. got this planned, no, I've got this. That's what I'm hoping will happen. <laughs> That's what that I'm hoping awesome. for. A physical manifestation of Jesus himself. Oh that would come be, on. That's the sort of finale you well, hope for. Well it is, it's all of us, isn't it? It's all of us. We are so, so this is beautiful. We're in Birmingham, much bigger venue than yes. before. More people involved, yes. more going on. What are you most excited about? What do you feel is we've got is... we've got some. So um, the theme of the conference is risk everything. We've said that a number of times over the last couple of months, um, and so we are encouraging, inviting people to embrace and consider risk in lots of different ways, like. Um, you know, past risks that haven't worked out mm. and what that does to your um, ability to take new risks. Um, where the idea of risk comes from and why we should embrace it, the connection between risk and imagination and creativity. Um, and we're going to talk about um, what risks we're inviting young people to. Young people like taking risks, but, but, but for some young people, if you're asking them to accept Jesus, you know, depending on their family background, their culture, you know, their school, whatever, you're actually inviting them into risk there. Uh, and then maybe we're going to look at the basis for, for healthy risk, which is, you know, the fact that we serve a God with infinite power and, mm. and possibility. So, um, so that's kind of the theme. And because of that, we're doing lots of different stuff that we might not have done before. So we're trying some new things. We're hearing some new voices. Um, we've brought in a bunch of people who, who won't have spoken at, uh, at big Christian events before, which is exciting. Um, certainly not in the UK. Um, we have, uh, let me tell you about a couple of really exciting contributors. We have Micah Borns coming, who is a spoken word 
artist from America. He's like the coolest man you will ever meet. Oh, cool. He's got albums on Spotify that are like... Are they good second albums? So good. And the second album's only good. So, in fact, before you go, check out Micah Bournes on Spotify. Okay. If you have the facility do to do that. Mm-hmm. It's free, isn't it, Spotify? There's yeah, a free is. version. Yeah. Okay. Um, then, uh, then check him out. Um, but he's going to come and tell his story, but he's also going to do some spoken word. And he's doing a... He's doing a workshop called Creative Writing as a Spiritual Discipline. Yes, come I, on. I mean, I want to go to that. Yeah, you should go to that. Good grief. Um, and, uh, and then we have, um, I, this is brilliant. We have, we have Denmark's Brit award-winning uh, composer. It's not, it's not the Brits because it's Denmark. It's a Danish and we decided last Brit. time this was not relevant information. Move it on, No, I, I think it's really cool. So he, <laughs> he's coming and he's going to lead some more so contemplative good. worship and stuff. But we also have the amazing KXC band, very hot right now, yep. are going to be leading us in worship throughout the weekend as well. And then uh, we have Sanjay coming to speak. Yeah, we, love uh, it. Who we had on the podcast. We have the wonderful Nikki Marfleet as well, who's the governor of a prison near Milton Keynes, um, who is known for her innovative work in the justice wow. system. Incredible. And uh, she is an amazing woman. She's going to be talking about courage and leadership. Mm. Uh, she's going to be speaking a couple of the seminars as well on the uh, Saturday as well as on Saturday night. Um, excitingly, she couldn't do a podcast because her her stories are too kind of top yeah, secret, too and confidential, and edgy. You're so that makes me want to go. And yeah, be in come the room. on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's and I'm exciting. quite excited about who's hosting. Well, I'm now, very excited. It's about a backward this, step. It's a retrograde no, step. No, it's not. It's brilliant. So um, it's great. It's not you and me. No, it's not you and me. <gasps> Everyone's like, phew. No. Let's <laughs> do with a microphone. Be here all day. Rachel, it'd be fair me. to say you're currently on adoption leave. I am leave. currently on adoption leave. And the th- <laughs> we tried to make it work and thought, no, this is going to be disastrous. So you're not so going to be around. I'll be around on the Friday. I'll well, be popping up saying, hello to everybody on the Friday. Oh, great. I'm hosting a lunch on Friday lunchtime. You're hosting before. a lunch? I am hosting a lunch with my two pearls for the leaders of national youth ministry organisations. Oh, that's nice. Actually, and just to say, on the whole risk it thing... A lovely guy. I'm not going to name him or his or his um, hotel because I think that this is a bit private. But he very kindly said to me, Rach, I, I've got this hotel. I would really love to like throw a dinner for people who are you know in youth ministry who are making some big decisions and who are risking stuff." And I said, yeah. "Actually, I know who I can bring." So that's amazing. So on Friday lunchtime before the conference starts. We're going to be having a lunch with some great leaders in national youth ministry organisations, some who would never normally get together and hang out together. Yeah, so before you get too upset that yes. the youth ministry world's most senior lunch eaters are joining <laughs> together for a lunch at a hotel, it's worth saying that, that that's kind of unprecedented. The it kind is. of gatherings that we're yes. seeing in youth ministry at the, moment, at the moment are amazing. It's really exciting. It's yes. a bit of a, 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 an icon of, of unity that's yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And real love, actually, like real brotherly, sisterly love. Like people saying, willing to lay down agendas, willing to really listen, willing to be there for each other, which is just fantastic. And we're seeing that all across the youth ministry world. So, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, back to you, Martin. So yes. you're excited about the risking stuff. So, I'm not no, coming no, to the lunch. No, the hosting. So who's hosting there? I'm hosting. You're it. hosting. And who are you hosting with? With Ali Martin. Oh, it's amazing. And with so Ali Martin. We were thinking, uh, producer Rachel and I were talking about this this morning, actually, yes. whether we would just go by one composite name. Oh yes, the, like Brangelina. We could just exactly. be Ali Martin Saunders over the over the weekend. Oh, what do you think? I love that Ali Martin That's, Saunders. We could just. Um, oh, I love that. We could just you introduce and I ourselves like that. Like that. 
though. We don't have a composite no, name. No, we don't. And we don't. You we look suddenly very I'm needy. Very needy. I am not needy, but I want a composite name. <laughs> anyway, so this is exciting. So lots of wonderful things happening. Now I'm quite excited. There's a particular book that's being sold. Yes, and it's not my one. No. <laughs> Your book will we'll be. be sold. Will anyone buy it? Your book will be available. I'll send some stooges in to buy it. But um, it's a book which I think models compassionate and frank conversations about very risky and difficult topics. What's it called? It's called um, Four Views on Pastoring LGBTQ Teenagers, um, and it's by the Youth Cartel. So yeah. Gemma Dunning, yes. who we're going to have our interview with in a minute, is one of the contributors. And what I love about this book, Martin, is it very... Um, it's very wise. Mm. It sort of introduces the topic of how do we pass to LGBTQ young people, um, and it's voices who might um, have a very conservative approach theologically, who might have a more progressive approach theologically, but they listen to each other yeah. and they talk to each other yeah. and they respond to each other within the book. And yes. I think it's what we at Youthscape have been seeking to do for a while, isn't it? Create spaces where we don't just surround ourselves with people who might think the same as us, mm. but we listen to young people's voices and other people's voices, mm. not not so that we somehow how come out of it all thinking the same mm. but we had the opportunity to really wrestle well with scripture yeah with what we believe the spirit is saying to us with our kind of lived experience with young people so that we really are pastoring young people and and that churches are safe places whether they're churches who agree with same-sex marriage or not whether they're churches that can affirm gay relationships or not but young people mm. are safe and mm. loved and mm. know that jesus welcomes them and loves them so the book sort of models gracious engagement and discussion difficult conversation yeah really yeah difficult. yeah it's not it's um, not an easy book but i think it's a good book yes. I think we can affirm it's a good yes. book and it's trying to do something very noble um, and I think it's, it's it does a pretty effective job yes. as well yes. so yeah we, you will be able to buy it at the National Youth Ministry Weekend uh, you can also get it from the Youth Cartel um, and uh, and this interview with Gemma uh, that you did yes. just, just opens up some of that conversation uh, really well so let's hear from, from Gemma uh, and her pink hair <laughs> her, her, her evangelistic pink hair and, uh, and, and you too Youthscape podcast. Right, I'm in the most beautiful garden in a lovely part of London and we've got planes going overhead and birds and gardening so we'll just see how we get on with this. And I'm sat in the sun with Gemma who has the most beautiful hot pink hair and I know that the first thing I shouldn't do is objectify what a woman is looking like and wearing but you, you have the most amazing hair. Thanks. Tell me about the pink hair. Uh, missional opportunities which I think most people kind of are a bit confused by. So there was a hairdressing salon local to here, I'd just moved here and they were advertising, can somebody come and have a radical rainbow hair? <laughs> They'll need to spend all day with us in the salon. And I thought, I could do that. I could spend all day legitimately yeah, in I'm a on salon. Yeah, I'm on the Lord's business. I could do that for a day. Chatting to people, breaking down some stereotypes, um, doing that kind of thing. So I replied to the message and said, would you be up for doing a minister's hair? Um, so they said, oh, come on in tomorrow. So I went in and the first question they asked it was, will you get in trouble? And I was like, with who? who <laughs> secretly, I hope so. <laughs> who, who am I going to get in trouble with? And they said, well, you know, the church. Like, what do you mean by the church? And I think their assumptions was that there would be someone in a hierarchy above me who might say, that's not what a minister mm. should look like. And then uh, when I said, if the only thing people have got to worry about is the colour of my hair, I'm probably doing an all right job. 
flesh. That kind of put them a little bit at ease. <laughs> and but that is but they still kept saying, are you sure we can do whatever we want? Are you sure? I was like, yeah, do whatever you want. And now, if I'm wearing my clerical collar mm. and I've got pink coloured hair, people are a little confused and stop to ask me questions. That is amazing. Yeah, so it's a good opportunity. And you're someone that loves people stopping you and asking you questions, I guess. Isn't it? You're not going to be a retiring type, are you? No. So what also is quite unusual about you is that you are an ordained Baptist minister yeah. and you lead a United Reformed Church. Is that unusual? Um, well, we're a combination okay. church. So uh, 38 years ago, the local Baptist church and the local URC church here in Leytonstone decided to join forces. Yeah because it meant they were stronger together. So rather than have two smaller congregations with two big buildings, with lots uh, of draining of resources to pull together, they did lots of work together mm. anyway. So it's a Baptist and a URC combined into one church. So the church wouldn't see themselves as either denomination. Mm. They're one church, which is why it's called the United Free Church. Um, but I'm a Baptist minister, and the last two ministers before me, there's only been three ministers wow. in 38 years, wow. which is a good, a good way of yes, yes, looking at church record. longevity. Mm. Um, we've all been Baptist ministers, so yeah, I'm an ordained Baptist minister who has a congregation that's a bit mixed, some people who have transferred from either side, and others who've got no idea what either of those sides are, they just love it they as church. They just found their home with yeah. you. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful, that's amazing. Well, people might know your name a little bit more at the moment, Gemma, because um, a book that has come out that we have talked about on the podcast, and we've also interviewed Marco, yeah. who you co-authored this book with, and a few other people. But I think you were the only UK author, weren't you, for this book? That's so, right. Just to remind everyone listening, it's called Four Views on Pastoring LGBTQ Teenagers, Effective Ministry with Gay, Bisexual, Lesbian, Queer and Questioning Students. Yep. Is this a book that you've been wanting to write and desperate to write and like you just needed to find a publisher and you had it all good to go? Like how, how did it come about that you wrote a chapter in this? Yeah, so it's never been my intention to write at mm. all. Um, those people that know me will know that even to do my academic study costs me. I'm not wired right, as an okay. academic who writes at all. Uh, it's been quite costly to get the qualifications I've got. So this book came about many many years ago actually we started a conversation I, I had a message saying what are you doing today and it was on Twitter um, from Rachel Bloom and Rachel said what are you doing today and I said baking cupcakes for gay pride and she said correct answer oh. would you like to come to Paris to be part of a European conversation and it was at a time when the youth cartel were hosting what they called open um, com conversations and so there was going to be this open event in Paris, drawing in European youth workers, looking at a whole range of issues, and Rachel was quite keen that I'd done some work for a few years already with the LGBT community, and that I could add to the conversation. So I actually it was part of a panel with Andrew Marin, who I'm a bit of a fangirl of, um, and he's got a lot to answer for, bless him. And then met Marco and Adam, who are part of the Youth Cartel, and just sparked a bit of a friendship, really. And that led to us working together on a few other projects. I actually went one year and did a seminar on your husband's book. Uh, oh, wow, Men the, the Gap. Yeah, yes. and about bringing together, at the time we were experimenting at church with intergenerational worship, Brilliant. which is different to all-age worship, and bringing together, and we had, like, essentially a youth group that was a whole mixture of ages. So we still had table tennis and food, all the things you'd have with youth group, but we have 78-year-olds alongside eight-year-olds. Amazing. And just good. a broad range. Good. So, yeah, they got me to do a few different things, and then they said, come to the summit in Nashville. So I was brought in as this kind of 
crazy English woman to speak and then be flown away, <laughs> which was always interesting. And then uh, Marco approached me and said, we want to do this book and we want it to be four different views, to be a conversation from all different perspectives. There's nothing else like it. And we believe that this topic should be done in conversation. Will you write? And I remember quite vividly, he was smoking a cigar in his back garden in the States and I was on Skype hidden in my bedroom. And I said, uh, I've got loads of other people who could do it, but I'm not sure it's for me. And he said, we're not asking other people. We're asking you because we've worked with you before and we know what you're about and that's the voice we want to bring so reluctantly I said all right then if you can get all of the others sorted and that actually took over a year to get all of the ducks in a row to have four of us Mm. every time we thought we'd got there something would happen Mm. and someone would have to pull out so we we were keen that it had an array of voices we were keen that there was a queer voice amongst that too we all firmly believe that nothing about us without us is ever really for us so we didn't want to write about people without having them involved in the book and that just yeah took a while to navigate getting it all together mm. so no this is not something I ever dreamt and I, it took a long time to get it to get it right together. all together it sounds. Yeah. I mean that's when I first read it that's what I appreciated the most about it was that it's four very clear voices um where you agree and you disagree with each other but yeah. what I think is if you've not read it guys you need to grab a coffee and copy and read it because at the end of each chapter then one of you then does a little kind of a a response yeah. and so it really models really healthy discussion where we might not all agree with where this lands but the things that we're all going to hold on to is that every young person we work with is precious and loved by God and, and our role is to help them become all that God made them to be and that's not up for grabs but what, what is kind of what we wrestle with is how does this land with us if we come from churches that might hold a particular theology so before we get on to sort of what your chapter was and sort of your heart for youth workers working with LGB young people um, what was that like for you as an experience to kind of put yourself in a situation where you knew in the same book where you're pouring your heart out others were going to do the same and would disagree because that's quite a vulnerable place to put yourself in isn't it yeah and I think even putting any words on paper and making it a published thing is quite different than having a conversation with somebody about what you believe you know we've heard stories time and time again of Christian authors putting books out that others have disagreed with and that's cost them uh, opportunities and platforms and things like that so when you're putting anything about what you believe Mm. theologically that's important to you written down on paper that others are going to read there's a vulnerability but one of the reasons why I agreed to do this was because it's done in this format because actually in reality we only ever read what we agree with and so this book challenges us to engage with each other even though we might disagree on some things as authors and it also then makes the readers think about things from different perspectives that maybe they wouldn't ordinarily Mm. pick up that book Mm. off the shelf and read in a view in and of itself Mm. it was a little surreal we all wrote our chapters obviously um, on our own independently so there was a sense of not really knowing the full extent to where the others were coming from until it was all together and we only saw the work that we were commenting on until it was all put together so um Eric had had access to my chapter in order for him to write a response and I'd had access to his so that I could write a response but we weren't sure how it was all going to fit together until it was put into one piece Mm. but actually that's been really interesting for me I think 
we have attempted to model a really good healthy discussion Mm. we are all siblings united in and through and for christ Mm. and therefore to model something that's a good healthy discussion Mm. where we can reach conclusions that say i can say amen to this but i'm challenging and disagreeing with this bit Mm. is a good model for the church because often we don't do that very well we Mm. don't treat each other well Mm. we kind of shout at each other from across the party lines and this, I hope, just brings a little bit of a different conversation into the mix. I think it's interesting with the, the title of the book about LGBTQ. We often, one of the criticisms I often hear from folks is that we tend to lump all of those, I mean, categories, is, it's just so difficult, isn't it, the idea of categories, that we lump them all together, whereas, in fact, you make it quite clear in your chapter and at a subsequent place I've heard you speak, that actually the experiences for LGBT young people might be very different and experiences for trans young people so yeah. how do you sort of negotiate that because the book covers all of it doesn't it you speak more specifically about lgb yeah. lesbian gay bisexual others in the book speak a little bit more about transgender but what, what for those of us listening thinking gosh this all feels like I'm, it's quite complicated for me i want to be a great youth worker but this i, I never have anyone to ask my questions to <laughs> how can we kind of help to understand that a little bit what do we need to be aware of So yeah, there are really different issues. I mean, historically, it's all been lumped together because actually they're kind of an oppressed community. And what oppressed communities do in and of the whole is form alliances and stand together. It's why when I was in Bournemouth, our LGBT community heavily supported the refugees that were in Calais. And a lot of our collections, when we were doing runs out to Calais with goods, the predominant people donating were from our LGBT community because they understand what it's like to live in a no-man's land of not fitting in with the the general society, to be ostracised, to be forgotten and to be excluded. So that's why there's kind of a lumping together. And obviously I can't speak for everybody within that about why they've kind of felt an alliance. But they are very different issues on the whole in terms of how people's experience have been and, and even in some pastoral care aspects. So the LGB things are very different to some of the T things when we're talking about gender dysphoria and people really struggling with how they their internal and their external bodies kind of align uh, and also some of the roots of medical transition, social transition, which is very different. There are some aspects that are similar in terms of having to come out repeatedly. Coming out is not a one-time situation. It's, it's an, a regular occurrence where people are having to encounter new people and explain who they are and who they love and how that works for them. Um, but there are differences within it. And sometimes I think we can be really... Yeah, do a disjustice to lump them all together mm. for our own ease mm. when actually there's different issues. But equally, when we separate them out the T often then gets kind of Mm. ostracised even more than Mm. the LGB and that causes us to have some issues too. If we're working with a young person in our youth group who is comes out to us either they're a trans young person they're saying who I really am does not match the sex organs I was born with Mm. the gender I've been assigned with at birth or if they're a young person saying I think I'm I'm gay, I think I'm bisexual I think for many youth workers who I speak to around the country there can be an an immediate sense of fear that (gasps) this is so different to anything else we ever do like our response in this moment like what is it, what should our response be and something in us says it's the human response of saying to this young person you're still loved, I love you and thank you for trusting me and telling me but I think very quickly 
exactly we can feel a burden of, of sharing more and particularly around theology and I'd like to chat a little bit about that with you Gemma if, yeah. if that's okay because you're someone who you've thought long and hard about a theology of sexuality a theology of, of um, identity and gender um, and I'd love to hear a little bit for you about what's some of the thinking that goes on in your head and your heart as you include and affirm um, young people when they come out to you as gay, bisexual, transgender. Is that okay if we just sort of launch into that? Because I think that would be so helpful yeah. for people to just sort of hear some of that. Because I, I would say it's very rare now that I find a youth worker, maybe they do exist, but it's very rare to find a youth worker who says, well, if a young person tells me they're gay, I kick them out of the youth group. I mean, maybe that does exist. I really hope it doesn't. Um, but I think where I, I often find chatting with youth workers that the kind of the bump in the road is, is, well, I we embrace them and love them but but what now what you know what what am I supposed to do now how do I help this young person explore and wrestle with their sexuality or their gender yeah I often get put in the liberal camp if I'm really honest so I find that quite funny those who know me find that quite funny because I actually think that I'm very evangelical in the sense that I'm a passionate youth worker who cares about young people deeply who wants to affirm that all young people are fully made in the image of God and that life in all its fullness, as we talk about in John 10.10, means that young people don't just survive their experience of being a teenager or an adolescent, but that they fully thrive in Jesus. And that's where my heart for some of this comes into play, that I want to see young people know that they are fully alive in Christ and that they can thrive in Christ to know that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. In the book, I make kind of a little quip that's stuck with me a little bit lately that says people are queerfully and wonderfully made. If we believe what we all say we believe as evangelicals, that each one of us is made in the image of God, is known by God from the moments that we're put together and knitted in the womb, you know, that whole kind of Psalm 139, then we probably need to grapple with at some stage what that means for our LGBTQ young people. Because often my experience of working alongside people has been that those words of being fearfully and wonderfully made are spoken over them, even from within the womb. You know, when somebody in church says I'm pregnant, the whole church rejoices and starts to use that language. And then often at dedications, we use the same language. We thank God for the gift of the child and we pray a blessing over the child and all that they might be, could be, and probably should be in terms of growing up within the church. And then often people's experiences are that all through Sunday school, all through youth group, that stays the same until they tell someone that they're LGBT or even questioning and then suddenly the majority of people's experiences are flip reverse and then after that point people use language like well, we're all inherently broken aren't we we're all sinners and so there's a shift from we are all fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of god to brokenness which actually a lot of young people receive that message then and then the damage then sits with them because how do we say that about some young people and not other people? What message are we giving when we say, well, we're all sinners? When actually for a lot of young people, even if you're on the more evangelical side of a traditional marriage is for one man and one woman for life, a lot of those young people haven't actually done any practice that might put them out of alignments with where most people sit within an evangelical spectrum. 
you know, most 14-year-olds are not practising any sex, never mind same-sex in the way that we would talk about adult relationships or same-sex marriage. These are different aspects, but the young people have this brokenness spoken over them as if, well, we're all broken, but actually there's a hierarchy of brokenness. And for me, that was my experience of church. I grew up in a non-Christian family. I found the church community as a 17-year-old single mum. And that was a long time ago. My son's 21 now. And he was not even one then. But I found myself in a community that spoke a different message to me than the other 17-year-olds. So I was allowed to be part of the congregation. They affirmed that I could be there. But I wasn't allowed to access the youth group. And I wasn't allowed to be a leader. And when I met my husband, they didn't want to honour the marriage because their wording was it was an uneven yoking. But actually nobody sat down and spoke to me about what our practice was, about whether we were engaging in a sexual relationship or not, about my heart for Jesus. Those things were just shoved aside and I was given a label as sinful because I had an obvious sin. Now the reality is that lots of my peers had sins too but often theirs were not as visible. And I feel quite passionately that with LGBT young people, a similar narrative gets spoken. For them, for our brothers and sisters on the more evangelical spectrum, this is sinful, and therefore there's a difference in how we treat people in the same way that I experienced a difference. And it's one of the reasons why I'm passionate, because I know that the story of Jesus is pulling in all sorts of people who the religious right were excluding. And yet he not only pulls them in, but actually goes to the house. Now, Zacchaeus up the tree is one of my favourite stories because there's this sense of Jesus saying, I know who you are, I see you. Mm. And not just come and have dinner with me, but I'm going to come to you and have dinner, which validates Zacchaeus as a human who's worthy of hosting the King of Kings. It's pretty intense, isn't it? And that's why I'm passionate about this issue because we say all are welcome. And yet often what we mean is to sit in a pew and to be tolerated, which is not the same. Not the same as engaged. I remember listening to um, a guy that did something at a youth festival a while ago, and he um, is a a man that identifies as gay. Some other Christians would use the phrase same-sex attracted, wouldn't Mm. they? But but he said that whenever he speaks with LGB young people, Christian young people that come out to him as gay or questioning, he says, we tend to always think it's a safeguarding or it's a sex issue. And he said, it's actually a profoundly spiritual issue. Yeah. The question that's being asked, he, he would say is, am I loved? Am I accepted? Am I, can I be loved by Jesus? Can Jesus still use me for his glory? So, so here's, I mean, I really appreciate, Gemma, you, just hearing your heart is incredible and just the pastoral care that you give to young people in your church, in your setting, it's just, it's just so much to learn from. It's incredible. Um, let's say someone listening to this is a youth worker who's working within a church setting where the church holds a, a, quite a conservative orthodoxy yeah. around this one man, one woman. Um, maybe even a church that would struggle even to kind of go as far as saying, gay they'd say science saying it's attracted um, and, and a young person comes out to the youth leader and the youth leader knows wow actually naming that in this setting is going to be yeah. very very painful for you and costly and suddenly you've got the parents you're, you're thinking about and the church leaders and, and the, the reaction of the rest of the church towards this vulnerable young person who is just trying to work out who they are and trying to live for Jesus do you have any because I think you're very well versed and very experienced in loving young people and just being with them any thoughts around how in that sense, it respects for theology. How in that? How can we disciple young people, help them become all that God has made them to be? Especially if we hold 
a sense of as part of discipleship we need to somehow talk about what scripture says about this stuff does that make sense but i'd love to hear some wisdom around that i think often when we talk about loving challenge it doesn't actually come from a place (laughs) of loving relationship (laughs) okay so that's the kind of the first and foremost this young person needs to know that foundationally they are loved and accepted that they are welcome that you not only just tolerate them being there but you celebrate the fact that they've been able to share this with you we talk in church a lot about having authenticity and integrity as kind of buzzwords don't we at the moment and yet for a young person to come out they are modeling to us they're sharing something that they would have struggled with to get their heads around for a long time preempting what you might do you do have a place of power as mm, youth workers. I know often we think we don't. <laughs> uh, we're often the lowest on the level of uh, hierarchy within a church setting. But we do have power over young people. Even if we're volunteers, youth workers, we still hold power. So there's a, a dynamics that's happening when someone really bears authentically who they are or who they think they are within that framework that we need to cherish and honour and thank them for. They need to know that they're not just welcome to sit on a pew, but that you you love them, that God loves them, that he knows them, and that there's still that sense of awe and wonder around them. And then these conversations can come, but they shouldn't be the first conversations. It shouldn't be, well, you've come out to me, now let's look at the six passages that we refer to as clobber passages. Actually, it's okay to say to a young person, how is this manifesting in your spirituality? What are the challenges for you? Because a lot of young people, if they're growing up within a conservative framework, they will have already looked at these passages. They will have already figured out what they think God says, what they think they've said. They will have done a lot of reading. You know, they'll probably be able to tell you what different authors and different commentaries say on this. They do their research before they get to a point often of telling a youth worker. So there's this sense of not letting this be the overarching theme of discipleship if you're mentoring a young person not every single cup of coffee has to talk about this one part of a bigger identity but what we are called to talk about is how they're outworking their discipleship in all sorts of ways where the challenges come and where the blessings come because actually our young people who are doing this work in their internal dialogue will have some profound things to say to us about what it is to be made in the image of God and what they feel God is calling them to. Mm. We need to listen to some of that. Mm. And out of that can come a, but someone might might read this scripture like this and someone else might read it like that. Mm. And in this church, this is the, the way that we've been reading it. So help us to have a dialogue. But often what happens is the conversations get shut down. Or, Fear, yeah, afraid, don't know what yeah. to say. Um, don't know what might then happen what might my boss say if I have this conversation that might feel like I'm being a little bit more liberal because I'm telling a young person that I still love them that God still loves them there's a whole bunch of things wrapped up around that but ultimately I do think it's our role as youth workers to prophetically speak into young people consistently even when we might disagree with some of their practices that we love them that they are known by God, that they're fearfully and wonderfully made, and that God has a plan and a purpose for their life. That means that they can thrive, not just struggle, trying to survive. One of the things that comes up in the book and in every chapter is, and again, it's interesting here that none of you saw each other's chapters beforehand, is the phrase, all of you hate the phrase, 
love the sin or hate the sin. I mean, that yeah. crops up. And, I, and it's interesting. I just don't know if you, you, I don't know if you're the one person that doesn't use that. I can't remember. Because I've read it thinking, I wonder if that's bigger in the American context. Because I don't really hear it in the British context anymore, that no. phrase. But I suppose to drill it down, it's, it's an interesting phrase. Can you just explain why, why is it that that phrase has sort of made a comeback and actually we need to stand against that as a kind of it's not a helpful way to consider pastoral theology of young people yeah i mean i think we did use it if if we yeah, had this conversation yeah. even five years yes. ago yeah possibly, i think yeah. that that would have been the majority of yeah. people's perceptions is that yes we we love the sinner we hate the sin mm. and yet actually that that comes from a gandhi quote not actually a biblical quote that does sound, I don't know. yeah so there's a whole kind of history with that phrasing Probably in the evangelical American culture, which um, some might say is a little bit behind uh, our kind of postmodern thinking within British culture, uh, there's still that framework there that speaks of we can love someone and hate what they're doing. And actually, that's part of the challenge, isn't it? Is that if we love someone, but we dislike everything they're doing to the point of using the word hate, then how do we respond to them? Because I, I know from my own sense of self, if I'm in that place, I'm not sure I'm really loving someone. Actually, when I get to that point, I'm probably distancing myself, I'm probably removing myself from conversations with them if I'm in that place. And yet God calls us to pull each other closer mm. when, we, when we're in those times. God says, love your enemies. You know, there's a whole bunch of phrasing around not excluding the other, but we're all one, we're all family. And how do we do that and work out our differences? And so for me, I guess we don't use it so much here, although some churches and some uh, denominations might still use that. Mm. But it is a way of othering. Mm. And it's also a focus, I think, profoundly around practice, which often for young people isn't the case. So we use that when we're talking about same-sex practice. And um, and if we're really honest, historically that's been about men on men, mm. not about two women um, and that can confuse the, the conversation for me mm. but yeah I, I just struggle to get how do we respond lovingly truly lovingly if we're finding ourselves disgusted disliking hating something about someone which is actually quite important to them and part of their identity and yes there are bigger things you know often the conversation says you know but that's not someone's primary identity they're in Christ and that should be at the forefront but often in church, we don't make that the forefront. We say those words. Wow, and then yeah. for an LGBT young person, there's a, a switch that gets condition. flicked. Mm. And so we don't use that same language. Wow. We suddenly make their LGBTness the only thing and that's seen. And a barrier. Seen. And a massive <laughs> and a barrier, barrier yeah. Mm, yeah. A way of excluding others. So much wisdom, Gemma. This is ab- absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I suppose the other thing to sort of that's worth mentioning as well is well, two things. One is that the great privilege of working with teenagers is that is that actually that sense of them working all this stuff out for the mm. first time is so precious and there's an additional vulnerability to young people isn't there because yeah. of the stage of life and what's going on I think that absolute imperative um, God-given responsibility on all of us to love and protect every young person and make sure they're safe and care for them and and walk this with them you know irrespective of theology I think that's 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 priceless I also wanted to ask another, another practical question because I suppose as well there's an awareness that for, for we might be working with young people where actually they 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 need to find a church that's going to be more affirming of yeah. of them and and just that the permission that is that okay for us to say I understand that 
this place right now might not be the easiest place for you to be to be wrestling with it is I'm, I'm going to help you find a church that is does that sound like a complete cop-out to you or do you feel actually there might be times where actually pragmatically that's actually that's that could be a good solution for a young person who is really wrestling with things and needs people who might share their experience might be ahead of them in the journey a bit yeah I think some young people are called to work in or all not just young people or some people are always called to be a prophetic voice and to be the first ones to be able to speak truth to situations and to be present in what might be a difficult situation where a church is wrestling with some of this but they're not the majority I think on the whole the majority of people uh, need to be in their wrestling and in their questioning and in their working out who they are still able to be in a place where they can worship comfortably without worrying and that's an important thing if we want to keep young people within the church as they wrestle with some of these issues as they feel their own sense of identity and grow into that then keeping them rooted in Christ is important and that will mean for the majority finding some way of expressing their spirituality where this isn't the only thing that gets talked about and where they know that they're not just tolerated to worship but they're celebrated and really truly loved and welcomed that can be hard I think for us as youth workers um, I don't know about others but there is this inherent sense of I want my youth group to grow I want to be the one with the numbers and if we're allowing people young people to go uh, not even allowing but just uh, recommending shall we say that they go and worship somewhere else that can feel a bit a bit hard a bit uncomfortable but for some young people that will be the right thing to do there are a number of churches who identify as inclusive churches uh, and there are in a, a big spectrum of church denomination and experience from high anglo-catholic bells and smells uh, to something a little bit more kind of uh, low church like some of the metropolitan community churches or even in other places and spaces you know, there's 223 which is a gathering of lgbtq people and allies that meets to worship together in central london it meets five times a year maybe that's a way that young youth workers and young people can kind of work together to give information about services places and spaces where they will be affirmed and celebrated and be able to worship still to be able to hear a preach where they're not going to be at risk of kind of hearing something that will be about hell and damnation um, but will be about celebrating joy and love and peace and grace and all the other aspects of the bible all the other verses aside from the six clobber passages mm-hmm. and we might need to get our heads around that that might be what god's calling us to to equip and resource young people to worship elsewhere mm. but always for us to keep a sense of relationship I mean, I don't know about you, Rachel, I'm, I'm kind of long in the game now. So some of my first youth that I worked with are now got babies. Incredible. And, yeah, yeah, I love all it. All of that. I love it. And I've managed to maintain contact with quite a few of them, actually, wow. because Facebook and social media and um, people just knowing more about where you are. Often young people will pop back into my life years later and say, this is who I am now and this is what I'm doing. So walking alongside young people doesn't have to be kind of excluding them out and and releasing them somewhere else the door doesn't shut 
That's we can still journey with them, said, yeah. even if they worship somewhere yeah. else. Absolutely. Because I'm passionate that the kingdom of God is bigger than our walls. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this is one of the, I think, the great times for the church, isn't it? That we do have these big things that we're discussing, and and some things that maybe other generations will look back and say, well, you were debating that, but why were you not debating plastics as much? <laughs> like that's really on God's heart too. Yeah. Or slavery um, or still. Sla- yeah. Or... So I think you're right. There are different kind of conversations that crop up at different times, and of course we have young, other young people in our youth groups as well who for them the key issue might not be a question around their sexuality or their gender um, but they're watching this conversation unfold aren't they and I think that's the last question I wanted to ask you really is as this conversation carries on and we we sit together and hold this intention and we might agree to differ on some things and um, what what is your hope for those of us in leadership and those of us who are seeking to to lead youth ministries what what is it that you hope for in this season as we as we debate just a little kind of cry from your heart really yeah I guess unity um what I see so much of is lines get getting drawn up and divisions I said at the beginning I'm often referred to as liberal which makes a lot of people around me chuckle because it's not how they would see me but we seem to want to put labels on each other as other leaders and we other each other (laughs) which is really then hard to build conversation it's also hard to speak to our young people about not othering each other if we are dividing ourselves up and making it more about tribe than kingdom and so I guess that's my heart's cry at the moment in particular is that we unite on the things that we're passionate about so yes God is important yes God cares for young people yes God is the hope that we have and that people can have a fully thriving life and we want all that for all young people and their friends and their Muslim brothers and sisters that they're rubbing alongside with at school. And what we often do in the drawing up is that we model something to young people which doesn't fit with what we say. And young people are watching that and seeing some of the hypocrisy. If we're not loving each other well, what hope do we have for them to love each other well? And then the cycle will continue mm-hmm. and we'll end up with a really fractured, broken body that doesn't represent what Christ wants us to be in any way, shape or form. You know, the bride might be a bit grubby, but she's still the bride of Christ. She's still beautiful. Yeah, and we're called to honour each other. The little bits and the big bits, we're called to work together for the glory of God. And I do just feel that maybe we need a bit of a wake-up call, that whatever we're doing within our youth ministry on the whole, as one church, we're not winning at the moment. We're hemorrhaging young people still, and not just young people, we're hemorrhaging all people out of the church. What would it look like to be the prophetic voice to say we're one church, that we're siblings, united in and through and for Christ, uh, in all things, not just to be known for the things that we disagree about. Wow, what a vision. Gemma, thank you. You're my sibling, you're my sister. I love that idea that we're siblings first. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for your time and for, for your wisdom. Me. And I do recommend folks get hold of a copy of this book. It's printed, but it's published by the Youth Cartel. Yep. How could people get hold of a copy of this if they wanted to get their grubby mitts on yeah. it? So if you're in the UK, um, it's a little bit different. You can get an electronic copy. Um, via Kindle, uh, you can do that. If you want a physical copy, uh, which I guess is useful for youth workers, I see that your yes, copy's I've got, got things highlighted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Notes around. <laughs> yeah, good. It's good to see. Um, we want people to engage with it as a conversation. Yeah. And if you head over to gemmadunning.com, there's a little header on my blog which uh, you can click on and you can buy it from me. And um, they get packaged out of my my lounge. So uh, yeah, Brilliant. it'll get wrapped up in tissue paper and sent out first class to you. So actually, we prefer people 
people to actually buy the book. I think that would kind of support what you guys are doing a bit more. You're very good, but I like all authors don't really. We don't really want electronic copies, do we? No, no. Physical copies, good. Fantastic. That is brilliant. Well, I do really, really recommend that. And you mentioned a few other people, like um, um, Andrew Marin. He's yeah. written some stuff. Any other books you'd recommend to help people sort of wrestle? Yeah, um, Dazzling Darkness, which is a biography written by Rachel Mann. Rachel yes. is a transgender yep. priest um, in the Church of England who writes so beautifully and eloquently around her journey of what all of these issues that we've been talking about have meant for her to discover her identity. Um, it is an interesting read, particularly if, if you're sat there thinking, I don't actually know anybody who's trans. It's a little insight into what life that is like journey. for people. Brilliant. That's a good book. Andrew Marin's Love as an Orientation messed my life up in 2009 when it came out, really questioned, was I loving people? How was I wrestling with that? That's a good book. This is My Body, which is written by a whole bunch of people, but edited and put together by Tina Beardsley, which talks around transgender um, situations and contexts and stories, is good. And hey, Vicky Beechin has just released yeah, this, just week. Out, yeah. this week. Just yeah. a book which will uh, tell her story. I recommend pick it up and have a read. Listen to the experiences of others and wrestle with those. It will make you uncomfortable, for sure. But uncomfortable isn't a bad thing. Thank you, Gemma. Thank you so much. We're now going to go back to sunbathing in your garden, but thank you so much. The Youthscape Podcast. So here's the thing, Rachel. Yeah. Um, If you sort of... I I know it's really easy to get sucked into uh, a kind of conversation about theology mm. and uh it's it's very it's very emotive mm. it's very hard not to feel like sides are being taken mm. and um is is the bible being yeah. you know uh, thrown around uh, in in both in both directions um but but if you widen it out even more when we look at young people mm. they cannot understand for the most part that, mm. and i'm not talking about the young people in our churches i'm talking about this generation of mm. young people the millions of them, they cannot understand where we're coming from on this. No. Um, they cannot understand that we even need to have a conversation. They can't understand that there is a group of people in this in this you know in this very progressive culture mm. who might have a problem mm. with the fact that someone might be mm. be gay or mm. transgender or uh, uh, non-binary, non-binary yeah. in mm. some way. Um, and so, uh, you, you know, it's worth just setting that big context there. And then within that, you've got young people who actually are mm. non-binary, mm. Uh, who, who are gay, mm. who, um, who, you know, or bi- are bisexual, are, yeah. or, or are processing feelings of, of, uh, of their sexuality or gender. Um, and, and they're looking at it and they're even more confused and potentially hurt mm. by the fact that there's this institution having this conversation about them, yes, and uh, yes. Uh, rather than usually with them, yes, um, and that's it's it's sort of important to remember that it's important to take a step back and say when we think of the big picture of the mission that we have to young people mm. to share Jesus with young people to to help young people understand that there is hope in this sometimes seemingly lifeless mm. institution called the church. Um, that as as we do that, we we have this kind of smell about us in the culture. That we're obsessed. Mm, we're sex, obsessed yeah. with sex and yeah. sexuality and gender above anything else, and it becomes the primary presenting thing. Mm. Whatever your whatever your position is on this mm. stuff, you can't ignore that. That if you're coming to Christianity cold, the primary presenting kind of factor mm. of Christianity is it's got some funny views 
on sex and sexuality. Mm. And it's, it's sort of a, that's an unsettling starting point, isn't mm. it, for all this? And that's why it's so vital that, mm. that people like Gemma and Mark Ostriker, who's put this book together, and mm. others are, are grappling with this stuff and challenging us to, um, to start to find some some way through yeah, yeah. what has got us stuck in the mud for the last 10 years yeah yeah it's about 18 months ago now that we ran a day here at youthscape called listening and responding well to young people on homosexuality and every speaker that we had every sort of session it was two speakers mm. and they had to be in the trench youth workers or mm. or people who are experienced pastoral care or church leaders and they also had to be people who themselves have gone on a bit of a journey around their own sexuality. So they're not speaking mm, mm. from just study, they're speaking from lived experience. And they had to be people who have come to their position prayerfully, theologically, pastorally, pragmatically. Mm. And it was the most incredible day. And so I'm just thinking I'm going to name a few people now. So we had Sally Hitchner and Nathan Jones who worked together on the pastoral element. And what was so powerful about it, Martin, was that both speakers held very clearly... Their, their position on whether they think scripture affirms same-sex relationships or not. Mm. They were very mm. clear where they stood with that. They were very compassionate and generous to each other. Mm. And they really laid out the strengths and weaknesses in their in that approach. So yeah. they talked about whether, in terms of discipleship, what, what's difficult, what's easy. And I think what was so helpful for me, who's, who's occupied for a very long time a very orthodox view around sexuality, is that actually enabled me to step back and say, actually, for me, this is not a primary issue of faith. Mm. Um, what I think is really important is that every single young person knows that they are precious and loved and, and embraced and welcomed, and even more so today than ever before, mm. because these feel such toxic battlegrounds mm. that I don't want a single young person in any church to feel that this issue is being played out on, on them, mm. that they mm. are the reason mm. the church now mm. is breaking up over mm. it. And I think also history will judge us and look back at us and say, why couldn't you guys hold together? Why couldn't unity be your your beautiful smell, even as you were wrestling with these big issues? Like every generation in, in church has had to wrestle with big issues, and women in leadership, all these big conversations. Mm. And yet Jesus asked us to love each other, and the world will know that we love him because we love each other. Mm. Now, you don't like that that doesn't kind of smell beautiful when it's easy it mm. smells beautiful when it's really hard so i think as youth workers we often are the ones who are trying to hold that ground with a church that doesn't want to listen to young people and that's mm. that's the challenge isn't it so i think we're going to have more conversations about this in future podcasts and we'll interview other guests who come at this from a different perspective but what i appreciate about Gemma is that she will often sit in spaces with christians who think and feel very differently to mm. her and mm. she won't be argumentative and angry and fierce mm. she will just share what she what she does and share stories and I think that's really winsome for us we need to listen to Gemma because mm. um, young people matter they're so precious they and do. They for do. them to walk away thinking that God hates them because oh. they're gay is just the most heartbreaking thing ever and we won't stand for that no and, and the thing is what tends to happen in church circles of all kinds is what we try and do is put each other in jars and boxes we like to, and yeah, yeah. labels and things and I think people might be trying to work out with this uh, podcast right now, where are we coming right from right now this? people are like what do they think which <laughs> yeah. box can I put yeah, them in yeah. and, uh, and I think it's really awful I went to a, um, at some one of these things that people like me get invited to one of these 24 hour thing retreat things yes. 
and um, and and I t- I went to dinner with a bunch of evangelical leaders, mm. um, and uh, and I was shocked that within two minutes of meeting everybody in that room, I could sense they were trying to figure out where I personally was at on the on the gay issue. Where right. are you? Where oh. are you coming from? Are you? And there was no context to that. that yeah, was they not just the wanted to know, yeah. and that that all, that was gonna because I wasn't really known to them. I was sort of a bit of an outsider. Right, okay. The, the first thing mm. that that other Christian leaders wanted to know was was I in or out? Mm. This may be a poor choice of words, but mm. was I was it was I pro? Was I affirming? Yeah. Or was I holding a traditional Orthodox view, mm. um, which I think was the answer they were looking for. Mm. And uh, and I you know I I just think it's devastating mm. that in all of this we are we are shrinking down the yeah. magnificent mission of, of God the glorious gospel is getting shrunk yeah. down to are you but where do you stand mm. I need to know mm. whether you are dodgy on this issue or not <laughs> we're not saying mm. that the the um, progressive direction for all of this has to be um, you know, absolute affirmation of any uh, expression mm. of sexuality, gender. We're not. We're not saying that on this mm. podcast, but mm. I'm sure people will be mm. here reading that into what we're saying. We're saying, look at what we're playing for yes, here. Yes, You've got to take a step back and look at who's being hurt exactly. here as well, and who's walking away. And probably many of us, and people listening to this, we have stories of young people who we know have have left church because they felt on this issue they are not loved, and that yeah. God doesn't. And then that is. Oh gosh, that makes me yeah. just well up. Disgusting. I just want to break my heart for that. So more to come. We need to keep talking about this, but we need to love each other and and fight for unity and fight for that. That's so so important. And uh, I did once hear a comedian said. So I hope this doesn't offend anybody. Here's my joke. I Go don't on. tell jokes often. I thought we were coming into land there. Said, I thought we went, got away with it. He went into a church and uh, they said, "So are you pro gay?" And he said, "Well, I'm not even amateur gay." <laughs> so that was hilarious. <laughs> anyway, so on that slightly inappropriate bombshell, yeah. have a great time. And whether this weekend you're at the National Youth Ministry Weekend or not, have a great weekend. The Youthscape podcast is always free, but if you'd like to support us, please go to patreon.com forward slash youthscape. <laughs>